Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR A55 on your AM dial. Radical Philosophy is now on Twitter. You can find it by searching Rad Philosophy on Twitter and clicking follow to follow us and keep updated with the show. Happy listening. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR 855 on your AM dial and I'm Janice Richardson. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. Thanks very much for tuning in to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. And I'm here today speaking with Chris Sitka about the origins of patriarchy. Welcome back to the program, Chris. Oh, thank you, Beth. Nice to be back again. (laughs) So, could you um, continue on where you left off last week? Yes, well, I mean, there's so much to talk about on this topic and there are so many women and some men who've done a lot of work on researching. the It's basically the history of the planet, the people on the planet and how patriarchy established itself and, and why it did. I talked a bit about that last time. And the fact that there was this widespread belief system, which is very different from, you know, the kind of monotheic religions that we have now on on this, uh, that you know, that have become dominant, um, Christianity, Buddhism, Islam, all all those things. Before we had these kind of, you know, monolithic, monotheistic belief systems, there was another belief system over the planet and as I I said last week it was about being connected to the natural forces, to the earth and there was a whole symbolic system. So it's very interesting that very similar images have been uh, images and representations of what people believed in have appeared over the planet and they're just stylistically different. They have the same kind of meaning. And I think one of the reasons that this whole study of patriarchy has kind of not stayed so popular amongst modern feminists is that it's probably been sidelined a bit because it's been taken over by something that we might call the goddess movement. So women study this and uh, talk about these cultures as goddess cultures. And then those feminists who are, let's say, atheists, not believers in spiritual things, thought, oh, that's a bit of mumbo-jumbo. And it's and also it's fairly popular amongst what I used to call the New Age movement. You might call it the wellness movement, why I'm a goddess. But it is actually based in factual history, that this is what people represented. It is a value system that they had, that 
they they practiced ceremonies and that were all based around this belief system and it's really interesting just how universal it was and how similar it was and you can get images even in Australian Aboriginal culture that are the similar representation to they were in in Europe say or in Siberia I, I find that aspect of it really interesting and and also India, Asia, South America it's it's basically one belief system is universal and has really captured the human imagination and had to be repressed. So what happened during the Christian era in Europe, for example, is that these old belief systems were repressed, but they couldn't repress them that easily because they were so dominant in the human psyche through having been used actually for hundreds of thousands of years. We revere the creatrix, and so in order to establish a male deity, a male god, for a start, he always lived in the sky, whereas the earth mother lived in the earth, right? So so that the the sun god just started to take over and then the christian god in the heaven who lived up in heaven but for example when christianity began for a long time when they wanted to they didn't depict the christ figure there was you know no images and quite a few hundred years after he died they started doing representations of him but he had to look really female because people would not worship a male Right, so they, he, you know, and I've seen this, uh, a documentary where they show these very early images and he had big hips and was very androgynous and looked, even had little breasts, you know. He, he looked like one of these goddess figurines from the Neolithic or the Paleolithic. It was only after the Roman emperor adopted Christianity that you started having Jesus depicted with the beard and as a very masculine figure. So that was a transformation that happened. And, of course, in the Catholic Church, you still had the Virgin Mary was a very strong thing because she kind of, people felt comfortable with her because she was more like the Mother Goddess, that they had always had been dominant in their their spiritual philosophy, if you like. So those are the kinds of transformations that have happened And, of course, social organisation had to change as well. And, of course, the obvious thing was as patriarchy started taking over, you started to have chieftains who had more money, who had more power, who had warriors, and and they were starting to tame and conquer people and nature. But some of the social structures have managed to endure on this planet, as I said last week, in small pockets. And I mentioned the Mosu of China. So they have a social structure, which Maria Gimbutas and other students say, and I've heard this from mainstream archaeology recently, also saying this is how people lived in the past. People actually stayed in what I would call mother houses. So where you were born... You you lived there and the senior, the grandmother or the great-grandmother, if she was still alive, she was like the senior figure who people respected and looked up to and her brother might have sort of co... I wouldn't say ruled, they just directed, you know, the wisdom of the elders. And women would, to in order to have children, a man from another 
mother house nearby would come to visit. And this is how the Mosu did it. So they would come, they had to come kind of in the evening and they went into the woman's room and they made babies, as we know people make babies. And then they would leave at dawn and the men would go back to their mother, grandmother's house and then they would work for that family, right? And they didn't have any ownership over their children. The children were the children of the house where they were born and the woman's brothers were like, you know, uncles and would help rear their sister's children. But those uncles would go off to another house and have children somewhere else. But so there was no coupling there was no ownership of men of their children and they they just devoted their lives to their clan which was ruled by the grandmother and this is how the Mosu were doing it and, and they still have that structure well people say this was the kind of structure before because when you had children you know you knew that the child was the child of the mother. <laughs> she can mate with other men and we you, you don't know whose child it is. But that was basically how it was structured. So the oldest woman was the, the authority in the house. She might have, might not have shared that authority with her brothers, but the men worked for the mother house, as, as I call it. So that's a, it's a really different social structure from patriarchy where men have established ownership over and we saw have seen that become very extreme in in patriarchy where men just assume that women and children are their possessions and and the women are removed from their own area their own families often and live in a completely different clan a different area and and thus women are disempowered have been disempowered by that whereas in this situation, nobody was really disempowered. No, it sounds sounds like a really good system. I remember somebody commented to me <coughs> quite a few years ago when I was speaking about children's last names. They said that children should have their mother's last name because they can always be sure that their mother is their mother. And especially now with the DNA testing, I think a lot of people are getting a bit of a shock and their father isn't who they thought he was. (laughs) That's right. That's proving to be a modern social disruption. Yeah, and and of course the other thing about this kind of social organisation was, you know, the sharing and the equal distribution of wealth and they they find when they do digs in these Neolithic villages and that, that um, yes, there might have been a larger house somewhere but it was usually a temple where people were creating ritual objects that they would use, you know, like um, that they would go out to the crops and pour libations on the crops with from urns that they'd made. There's really beautiful artwork and I'd really suggest if anyone's interested in this history... Probably the best book to look at is Maria Gimbutas's book, The Language of the Goddess. It came out a long time ago, but she it's, it's basically it's a it's a very archaeological book. It's technical. It's but it 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 shows the kind of artifacts that attest to a metrifocal culture. And she has it in all different sections and the way they represented the mother goddess had many aspects like the bird goddess, the snake goddess, the you don't have to use the word goddess if you don't like. It is problematic because it is to me because it seems to relate to God and worship. But it's just the word that 
that we have used to describe these artefacts of old and, and the symbolic language because I'm talking about a lot of designs that had meaning and she interpreted the meaning of the designs from a lifetime of study and, and some of that was based in her study in, in her she was Lithuanian in the folklore and the rituals and dances and, and things of the peasant people in Europe who were still really expressing that culture of connection to the to the earth. And she interpreted it and actually you, know, you hear about the invention of writing and it and it's always dated to I would say patriarchal times, you know, when people started recording their wealth and their the battles they fought. But actually a lot was recorded in the old European culture than and, and its equivalents all over the planet which is a kind of a language, but it's a symbolic language. But actually, there has been some interpretation of it done because, uh, I, I forget his name, there was a man who in, did, he did a table a bit like the Rosetta Stone where he took a lot of the symbolic language of the old European culture and the Neolithic European culture, I mean, and he compared it to Old Cypriot, which was a known and interpreted language. And you can, if you saw that particular table, you would see that there are parallels and that this was actually a language. So we have a big denial in archaeology about our true history because they like to think civilization began, they kind of seem to uh, call civilization warfare and hierarchy and oppression. That's And so they like the cultures that had that. They are the civilised cultures and they ignore the pre-patriarchal cultures, which to my mind are true civilization, because it's not about oppressing people. It's not about controlling and, and destroying nature. It's the opposite. And I think there will be more of an interest in studying this. And I think that's why in mainstream archaeology there's a lot more of acceptance of what we might call these feminist theories of the past. Though they're not saying that, they're just looking at the evidence in a new way and not projecting patriarchy, falsifying the evidence basically as much. Because I think we're at a time in history when we really need to look at the value system in how we live and how we live with this planet. And the value system of the metrofocal cultures was one of sustainability. <laughs> and what and to me that's civilization. And to me being uncivilized is oppression and warfare and cruelty and exploitation. Men having power over women. That's that's not civilization. That's a kind of an illness. It's a it's a it's an ill society, and we have to remember that patriarchy is actually a very small segment of history. For hundreds of thousands of years, people did live in harmony and peace and equality, and then for let's say five or six thousand years, we've had this bad experiment called patriarchy. It's kind of a, a you know a thing that was driven by social changes, but really the time has come to end this because. It's really where, and the end days, aren't we? You know, with um, with the way that the biology of the Earth is now collapsing under the pressures of basically a patriarchal value system. 
which is more than just men oppressing women. It's also about exploitation of nature. So that's very uncivilised. And I think it's time to look back at the value system of pre-patriarchal times. And of course, we're different now. The planet is different. But I think it's about a cycle that we've been tended to be taught that People develop in this straight, this climb up this ladder or a straight line, but there's a cycle, and I believe we're coming towards the end of the cycle of patriarchy, and that's why we're seeing women starting to empower themselves more, and men of who have any sense accepting that because they realise this is a much healthier, saner, civilised way of life, and. That's why I would really encourage people to study the true history of this planet, to understand that warfare is not inevitable, to understand that oppression is not human nature, to understand that equality is a a thing that was constructed a very short time ago in human history. And and we now need to develop a new system. So let's go back to Metrofocal in our new version of it because what else are we going to do? Allow ourselves to be destroyed by by patriarchy, basically. Yeah, that's a really good point. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, and I'm speaking with... Chris Sitka, about the origins of patriarchy. So would you like to talk about the Australian Indigenous culture? Yeah. Well, actually, that is an interesting question because often people tend to think of Australia as having been very isolated and not part of, you know, the kind of historical movements in other parts of the world. But we have... And and that as you know that the Aboriginal people lived a gatherer hunter lifestyle and that they weren't sophisticated and that's all the kind of racist. We're still uh, the way people think about Australian Aboriginal people is still very much influenced by the extreme racism of early colonialism, and per- trying to depict them as very primitive and basically Paleolithic. You know they used to say these are Stone Age people. Of course, we now know that they are extremely sophisticated culture with extremely sophisticated, intellectual, highly developed knowledge of the natural system of the of this continent that they lived on, and every every clan had an intimate knowledge of the biology of of its of the area where they lived. And I think it's very interesting, and this is something that not many people have thought about at all. I might be the only one talking about it, actually, that there was a transition from metrofocal to patriarchal in Australia as well, I believe. Now, we look, and and one of the things, of course, is important things is Bruce Pascoe's brought out his book, Dark Emu, and he's shown that the Aboriginal people were actually an agricultural society. They just didn't build fences and houses in the way that it developed in other parts of the world. But they did, agriculture was introduced basically at pretty much the same time in history as it was in all the other parts of the world. And I find this fascinating because you think, you do wonder how this happened because, yes, 
Australia was there was water between Australia and other places, but actually, not you know not so long ago because Australia was connected to New Guinea and parts of Indonesia up until the the melting. Tasmania was connected to to the mainland, so. And in the time that Aboriginal people have lived on this continent, there's been a lot of changes in geological eras and that. But yes, agriculture also was developed here and was quite sophisticated. People actually used to store food. You can read Bruce Pascoe's book to see a lot of the evidence about that. And I can also see the transition in the in the art. So if you look at the Kimberleys and you look at... Um, the Guion Guion figures, and they're the old, the old culture, and and actually, look, I have actually been out to a sacred site in the remote Australian desert with a group of Aboriginal women elders who showed me this place, and they told me that this was the evidence there in the rocks showed when women held the power. So, and if you look at the the, the mythology of Aboriginal people, you'll, you'll see there's a lot of talk there about the, the mother creatrix, the way uh, the creation theories, and I know in, in the area where we are at the moment on, on the Woiwurrung country, they talk about Bunjil, the creator, and Bunjil the eagle is a male figure, but in many parts of Australia they have a creatrix as well. And I've collected many of those stories and the names of those. So, I, it's it was a uh, this continent doesn't stand apart from what happened. It's it's uh, interestingly that it's planetary change. And at a time when we think of people living very isolated, not travelling very much, there was some kind of connection. Whether it was some kind of human psyche connecting, or whether it was people actually travelling. But I can, there's, there's even iconography that can, and some stuff that's really astounded, and even some things that are very secret as well for Aboriginal elders. One that I've shown really blew my mind. So some, somehow connection has happened and we see the transition happening everywhere. Yeah, so. So, yeah, I, I know that in Australian Indigenous culture, it's quite interesting because if you, if you do come across a, a young man running a bit of a muck, all you need to say to him is, oh, I don't think your aunties would be very happy about your behaviour, and then that's it. They'll mm. just start behaving themselves, and, and it, it certainly shows, doesn't it, how much power that the old aunties wield. Look, wouldn't it be good if we had an auntie for the planet? <laughs> <You know? laughs> they could, could go and uh, just discipline all the naughty boys who were running amok at the moment. Because mm, we have had them running amok, and that's what patriarchy is. Yes, women participate in patriarchy, but it's a system of male dominance, basically. And and it's as I say, it's it, it hasn't always existed on this particular globe, and it doesn't need to keep existing. And I, and I think that can, for me, as a, as a feminist, you know, women's liberation. I prefer to call myself a women's liberationist than a feminist activist it, it does give me hope because if you have that belief that male violence is natural and normal that the you know the domination is 
I think you have less hope in change. You try, then you're trying to change human nature. But if you understand that human nature is much more about cooperation and that people have been, that it's social construction, the feminine and masculine roles are social construction, you can have more hope that things will change and we can go back to what has throughout along the history of the planet been a more natural thing where men respected and revered their aunties or their goddess or you know or their virgin mary or whatever it is that that they had and you know, took different forms in different cultures in different continents but it gives me hope that uh, and and I think we see signs of that like when you have natural disasters we always have those hollywood movies of the men going around raping and pillaging and dominating but actually the main thing that happens in natural disasters is people start cooperating and looking after each other because how else would humanity have survived hundreds of thousands of years of ice ages volcanoes meteorites hitting the planet if they hadn't basically cooperated and shared and you do see that much stronger in 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 the Australian Aboriginal cultural practices of sharing where you are very much not a, it's just compelled but it's very shameful not to share your resources with those around you whereas in capitalist western culture it's basically you're encouraged to keep an unfair share of of resources for yourself and not care about people around you well that's not a way we're going to survive and i think the times will get harder as the biology of the planet keeps collapsing and then the way of survival will be having those values of sharing and caring for each other and and i think it's still in our our greater psychic memory that those instincts the the better instincts are also there so i'm quite hopeful <laughs> for the future and that we will find those it, it, unfortunately it'll probably be through crisis because uh, my observation is that when people have power they don't easily willingly give it up and so sometimes they something but we we may be driven to that when survival becomes more difficult as it is for many people at the moment like I'm sitting in Melbourne pretty comfortable but if I was in Nepal at the moment in the floods or in the raging bushfire somewhere in the northern hemisphere that's become more destructive and the and the in even midwest america where the the tornadoes keep blowing their towns away and the hurricanes so you know people are already struggling to survive again now and um it's yeah as the times get harder i hope that we remember these better value system that we have yeah, yeah. Oh, look, it's it's so good to to interview somebody who's so optimistic about the future. And yeah, I, I'm sure a lot of lot of people after listening to your interview will, will have a bit more optimism because they'll be a bit uh, better educated in the origins of patriarchy. So thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Oh, thanks very much for having me on. And I've been speaking with Chris Sicker about. The Origins of Patriarchy. Well, that's all we have time for today. Hope you've enjoyed the program and stay tuned for the fabulous Swing and Sway.